Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Um, I really, really loved worshiping together this morning because I, I, one of the things that I'm, I'm excited about, what I felt was very present, and that is a, a, a collective realization of the Father heart of God, the real gentle, shepherding Father heart uh, of, of God. Because um, we are going to spend some time today in Ephesians 5 and 6 as we continue our Ephesians series, Citizens, the New Man and the New Society. And uh, we're going to come up against and discuss uh, some scriptures that have uh, not always been a favorite of many. Uh, and we're going to tackle them with that perspective of the, heart, the Father heart of God, that gentle heart of God. Uh, so just to recap a little bit, from our series through Ephesians so far. Uh, Remember that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing Ephesians, he starts off from this place of describing the new man. That is, the believer in Christ is now literally in Christ. And throughout chapter 1 and and much of chapter 2, Paul enumerates the spiritual blessings of the believer being defined as in Christ. So there's a newness, there's a new man present. And this new man, this new, this collective new man, God has put into a new society and that that is the church. Um, and that Gentiles and Jews and all, all, there's no distinctions now. We're put into the church. We are the new society. And that that church, God is actually building up to be a dwelling place of his spirit here on the earth to the display of his glory. And that's actually always been his eternal plan the new man in the new society. And then Paul, in, in throughout the rest of chapter 3 and most of chapter 4 and 5, he describes the new living, the new standards. So if we are in Christ, we are in this new society, Paul says, well, that, now there's new living. There's new living involved in this. And today what, we're, what we want to transition into is this idea of new relationships. So new man in a new society, new living, and now there's new relationships. Now, There's a little bit of danger from the start uh, of this that I want to kind of go into, Uh, but before I do that, uh, last week I was actually away. Um, My brother got married last weekend. He got married just outside of Baltimore in Maryland. Uh, So it was great. My family and I, we took a week. We drove with two toddlers and one in my wife's carrying number three. So it was quite a, uh, it was quite a drive. And um, so we're driving across the great state of Ohio and Pennsylvania. It's just beautiful. Anybody from Ohio and Pennsylvania? <laughs> Represent. Thought there would be more of you, but that's okay. Um, but one of the things that shocked me was, you know, when you we get into Ohio, and like first thing that happens when we're driving in, in Ohio on I-80 is you pull into a big toll plaza, right? And they give you a ticket. Uh, and you, you look at the ticket, and it's got a bunch of, it's got this graph, basically, of like, where you got on the interstate versus where you get off of it is how much you're going to have to pay. So I'm like, whatever, looking down. And I'm, we have to drive all the way across Ohio. And I look all the way down at the bottom and I'm like, 1750 to get across Ohio. Now, I love Ohio. It was gorgeous. But, but I, I, yeah, see. But, but, but I was like, 1750 no offense. I was like, gracious. I'm kind of that kind of guy who's like, 1750. So I'm like, wonderful. And then I realize when we pay, when we get through Ohio, we start getting into, into Pennsylvania and they give us another ticket. 
and we have to drive twice as far in Pennsylvania as we did in Ohio. And so I looked down at the graph and at the end of the day, it cost me $41 to drive through Ohio and Pennsylvania. It is. It's because it's beautiful. But not as beautiful as the people who live there or are moving there. No. So, so that feeling, you know, you know, when you drive, there's that feeling of when you hit a new state, you're just so excited. You're kind of Google mapping, like, when are we going to get to the next state? Because it's kind of like that boost of, of support, you know? But instead, when we were pulling into Pennsylvania, I didn't have that. I was like, great. Contrast that feeling with a feeling that I had when I was actually, before I came on staff full-time, uh, I worked downtown in fine dining. I was a private dining captain, so I worked private parties, and I got to wait on lots of famous people, one of which you may have heard of. He was a little basketball player who played in this town for like a decade and a half, Michael Jordan. Um, so his daughter was having her high school graduation party at a private fine dining room downtown. I think I had a cookout when I graduated high school, but, um, but it was amazing because I, I don't, I, I, even if you're not sports fans, I hope you'll appreciate this. While we were in the room, private closed door room, I'm waiting on this party. Jordan's there. I'm like talking with him like this. He shakes my hand. His fingers go to like here. The NBA finals were actually on while he's in the room. And LeBron James, it was the first year that LeBron James was in the finals. So they actually lost that, that final. But so I have, I'm sitting here, Michael Jordan is in the room talking about the NBA finals, watching them on TV with me. And he's talking about basketball. And I'm, I'm talking with Michael Jordan about the NBA finals. And he would, he was, it was amazing. He'd be like, in two plays, they're going to call timeout. And when they come out of that timeout, they're going to run a screen and shoot a three. And they would do exactly that. And I'm like, how are you doing this? And, and during the commercials, I wanted to be like, okay, what's the next one? Chevy or Ford? Like, <laughs> it was surreal. It was surreal. I wanted to like share his lobster cocktail and sit down and get a drink. But every time I left the room, I couldn't wait to get back to the room because the game was happening and Jordan was watching the NBA finals. So... Sometimes we come to certain parts of scripture and we have that waiting on Michael Jordan feeling because we just love that piece of scripture. And we're like, I cannot wait to study this again. I'm so glad somebody's preaching on this. Other times we have that driving into Pennsylvania feeling. (laughs) And this part of Ephesians 5 and 6 is speaking about some of our favorite things. Husbands and wives. Children and parents. And here it is. Slaves and masters. We just drove into Pennsylvania. (laughs) So the danger from the start is that you and I will initially put up a wall and rest immediately back on assumptions and knee-jerk reactions to this kind of scripture. And I just want to encourage us from the start. What Debs and her team beautifully, so, so beautifully led us into that father gentle place of the heart of God. Let's, let's stay there as we enter into these. Um, because we're, these may be the new relationships that we're going to talk about. But I think socially, whether we, whether we admit it or not, I think our thoughts on these are rather established. Or we, we have some reactions to them. And they're deep-rooted topics. And they, they provoke passionate notions and responses in our society. And... We just need to start off by admitting that. 
And some of you, therefore, as I say the terms husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters, some of you may already be cringing. Some of you may already be girding your loins for battle stations because you know what this means, darn it. Uh, Some of you may be starting to feel inferior. Some of you might be starting to feel superior. You know, maybe husbands are going, I can't wait for these first three verses. I love it. And wives are going, oh yeah, we'll check out the next nine. (laughs) Some of you may be struggling with me, maybe starting to disqualify me because I don't know you. I haven't lived your life. Um, I, I look differently than you. I'm not your same gender. I'm not, so how can I speak to you about this? And that's okay. But I think we just need to admit these things. But there is an encouragement that I want to reiterate, and that is to simply remember where the Apostle Paul has gently taken us to this point in Ephesians. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking to new relationships, the new man in Christ, placed in the new society, purposed by God, in the new living And now there's new relationships. And I want to fight fiercely. I will remind you continuously and remind myself to take that view and that perspective. Anybody, um, just to speak a little more to to, to to the challenge, how many of you before last week knew who the Los Angeles Clippers were? Few of you. How many of you this week know who the Los Angeles Clippers are? A lot more of you. Why? Because, in case you didn't follow the news, uh, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers was recorded saying some pretty boneheaded things this past week. Boneheaded, to put it lightly. But what I don't want to talk about is the disgusting things that he said or the whole situation, because I don't really think that's the topic. What I want to ask you is, did you recognize the social mechanisms that instantly came into place. Man, the like, the tweeting and the reporting and the sloganeering and the posturing and the positioning and like making sure that you're not on like the the wrong side of a statement or or this or that. And the, the whole thing just spins like a tornado and it gets so big. And I think if we come to scriptures like this, posturing ourselves and starting to sloganeer and girding our loins for battle, we're already done. Because, you know, honestly, it's not just for our sake. Chicago and the world, they don't need another sloganeering church. They don't need another cool church. They don't need another hip church. They don't need another uh, well-spoken church. They don't need a a too-sugar-coated progressive church or a too-politically-legalistic church. They need an authentic church, right, of new men and women, new society, new living, and new relationships. So that's how I want to come to this. And I think that honestly is the heart of good exegesis with this. And exegesis, remember, is just simply us hearing as the first hearers heard and having that understanding. So with that, with that context, with the Father heart of God, I I know I've belabored that a little bit and I appreciate you letting me get on that soapbox. But with that, now let's come to the text. Happiness? Okay. Let's start in verse... 5:22, Ephesians 5 verse 22. We're going to go to chapter 6 verse 9. So this is, this is a little bit of a chunk, but it's behind me if you want to follow along. Um, but I'm actually going to start in verse 21, which won't be behind me, where the Apostle Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, wives, 
Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents. Finally, something we can all agree on. <laughs> obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction in the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. I think part of the, there's two keys to unlocking these relationships that we're going to look at. One is, I read in verse 21, submit to one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the other is up in verse 18, the second half, where Paul's saying, well, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. But then he says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In that context, we see these new relationships. The new relationships in the new society pertain to all relationships, but these three, marriage, family, and work, are pretty much the most inescapable ones. Would you agree? Some of you feel very unable to escape. I'm kidding. That's terrible. Each is a sermon unto itself. Each of these is a sermon unto itself, and each of these we could feel like we could disqualify ourselves from because they don't, we don't really feel like it pertains to us. I want to encourage you not to do that because there are things that do pertain to us in each. And, and I just think they're the most common, most accessible examples. And the fact that they existed back then and the relationships exist today, I think, speaks to that. So we're going to look at these and discover what, what, they, what, what, is, what does the Apostle Paul say in the context of these relationships that are about the new relationships. Does that make sense? So the first, let's, let's take a look at the first new relationship, marriage, in five, chapter 5, verse 22 through 33 to the end of the chapter. I think the first thing, I'm not, I'm not going to read all this again, but the first thing that we see is that 
the new relationships involve relating through others to Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm saying it involves relating through others to Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus can't be removed. The person of Jesus can't be removed from the aspect of relating to one another. Because all authority actually rests with Jesus. Right? So only Jesus can actually be fully submitted to, fully obeyed, fully served, right? So this is why the Apostle Paul, like every other sentence, says things like, as to the Lord, as to Christ, as Christ is, in the Lord, yada, yada, yada. He's not just saying, submit, obey, serve, treat him well, no, 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 there's an example of Jesus, and we're relating through others to the person of Jesus Christ, right? I, one of the things that I did as I, was, as I was just praying through this is I just underlined every time there was a reference to in the Lord or as Jesus or whatever in these, in these passages. It's unbelievable. It's like there's more underlined than there is not underlined. It's like in Ephesians 1 where you underline in him or in Christ or whatever, and you're just like, well, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, we get it, Paul. So Jesus in the new relationship of marriage, for example, in verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. He could have put a period there. Instead, as to the Lord. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. There is a Jesus final stop to each of these relationships. Does that make sense? So, for all, I want to say for each of these new relationships we're going to look at, For all, as we've seen, under the authority of Jesus, God has set up a relationship of order. And for all of us, from verse 21, we remember, is submit to one another. That's top. Right? Out of reverence for Christ. And then we see specifically in marriage, under the authority of Jesus, God has set up a relationship of order. And that is husbands love. Wives submit. This is an order of function, not of value. No ribbing each other. Remember, guys, we got nine verses. An order of function, not of value. All, can I just say, all value questions, they're answered. They they're actually were answered back in chapter one when Paul, when Paul said, and in chapter 2, if you're saved by grace, through faith, in Christ, every spiritual blessing, this is boom, 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 boom. Forget it. We're not talking. And later on, even in, in Colossians, Paul says, there's no, no, slave, no slave nor free, no, no man nor woman, no Jew nor Gentile. The value questions have been answered. And the value differences ha- are, are a construct of us. And we've got to get rid of them. Good. So there's not, this is not a statement of value. This is a statement of ordering of function as set forth by God. And neither one nor the other is earthly better than the other. Why? Because what's the final stop of the relationship? Jesus. It all ends there. Happiness? So in that context, just briefly, husbands... We're just going to take a look at the, in each of these relationships, we're just going to take a look at what the Lord is saying to 
the people in the, in, the, in the functions of these relationships. Husbands, couple things. One, remember, wives are called to submit to a loving, sacrificial leader, not an ogre. We're going to see a reciprocal picture here. It's not an excuse to domineer. Wives fully soar in their personhood when they're led by sacrificial love. Believe me, I've been, I'll be married seven years this summer. I'm an expert. Just trust me. I'm kidding. No, but it, you don't have to be married long to, to see this happen and work. It's not husband in first place, wife in second place, but rather a, the husband has a love that what? Compels him to serve in the flavor of Jesus. In, in Philippians 2, Paul describes the, the actual servant-heartedness of Jesus who literally did not consider equality with God something to keep, but made himself the form of a bondservant and obeyed even unto death. That is the extent of servanthood that God is calling the husband to. Who wants to sign up? No. <laughs> so Paul illustrates that clearly in, in, in verse 26 through 28, where he says, just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with the water through the word. And what's Jesus going to do? Jesus is actually, he's cleaned up his bride. And then he's going to present her. He's made her completely holy without blemish. And he is actually going to present her to himself, a radiant church. Jesus knows how to treat a bride. Husbands, treat your bride in the way Jesus Treats his bride. Happiness? Really? <laughs> a bridegroom like Jesus is, is a bridegroom that a wife can fully submit to. Can fully submit to. In fact, she's actually made to flourish there. Yeah? Wives. Couple things. Husbands are made with a function by God that they will soar in in partnership with you. Yeah? We didn't ask for it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Your submission is not a posture of giving up or giving in. It's a posture of release and trust to the husband we've already talked about. Remember, husbands are learning to exercise their authority as Jesus does. We're learning. <laughs> I'm learning. So have grace and patience. And know, and know that he struggles with being up to the task. Yeah? Man, what a, what a, what a beautiful, delicate, tenuous, wonderful, functioning setup by the Lord here. That ends, train stop, in relating to Jesus. Yeah? This is the new relationship. It's a beautiful reciprocal picture. And we start to get a sense from the picture of marriage that in the, in the, in the new relationships, there's a relational outworking of God's new society and it's centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And marriage is a perfect picture of that. If you, you take Jesus out of that, it's going to fall apart at 10 different places the first day. Got really quiet. It's not, it's not heavy, although we can make it heavy. It's actually freeing and joyous. And you can, you can smile at me. 
the new relationship of marriage where we see that. The next new relationship that, that Paul goes into is, is children and parents. I'm going to call it the new relationship of family. And remember, let's, let's reset ourselves. Uh, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. And again, the new relationship turns relationships on their head by actually ending the relating at Jesus. Yes? So, Jesus in the new relationship of family. Again, let's take a look. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Could have put a period. But it's children, obey your parents in the Lord. There's a flavor to this obedience. Verse 4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Could have put a period. Just don't exasperate your kids. Come on, don't exasperate your kids. But instead, there's more. It's the context of Jesus. So, again, for all, under the authority of Jesus, God has set up a relationship of order, submit to one another. And in family, under the authority of Jesus, God has set up a relationship of order. Children obey, parents graciously instruct. Now, can I just take a second here and say that obey is different than submit. Just in case any of you were making that connection. Obey is different than submit. We're not called to obey one another in reverence to Christ in Ephesians 5.21. We're called to submit because submission is a voluntary self-giving to a constructive lover. Obedience is a, is a complete yielding, right? We're not, we're, we, don't, we don't just obey one another. We submit to one another. You catch the difference? Which is why... Which is why it doesn't say, nowhere in the New Testament does it say, wives, obey your husbands. Submit. Children, obey. There's an order here set up by the Lord. So again, this is a description of function, not of value. Just, you know, when Amelia, whether or not Amelia obeys me, it doesn't change her value. And it doesn't make me more valuable that I'm her dad and her less valuable that she's my daughter. That value question has been answered. So... Like we did for husbands and wives, let's take a look for children and parents. What does it say? I believe we can pull from this that children, remember that God demonstrates his love for family by creating a multitude of human families. And there's authority in that individual family by God's design, the parents. God created a natural progression of having children. He commanded Adam and Eve to do it. And they were, they were stewards of their children. And that continues through to this day. Obedience, children, is for a season. Honoring is for all time. Does that make sense? I'm 32. If my dad calls me up and says, go do this, I don't really have to obey him. But I will always honor my father. Yeah? And Paul, Paul elaborates on uh, the passage out of Deuteronomy. He actually combines one out of Deuteronomy and from Leviticus, where he says this is actually the first commandment with a promise that it goes well with you. Yeah? That's how much God desires us to honor our father and our mother. And God honors those who honor their parents. Yeah? And God actually knows who he gave you as parents. He's actually aware. And that's why it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And this obedience 
is the way unless your parents are literally leading you into a place that doesn't make it possible to obey in the Lord. Oh, I'm preaching to my 11-year-old self. (laughs) Parents, parents, exercise your authority with grace and not dominance. I'm preaching to my 32-year-old self. Exercise your authority with grace and not dominance. Yeah? Because we're to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And last I checked, the Lord is a gracious and not domineering authority. Children, children's complete dependence on, on you as a parent necessitates your complete dependence on the Lord. <laughs> it's like... It's, it's like what wife wants to submit to a husband who's not submitting to Christ? What, what child wants to be dependent on a parent who's not completely dependent on the Lord? It breaks the system. <laughs> yeah? So the responsibility, it's a responsibility and a privilege of training up our children and loving, in loving and in reveling in, in themselves reveling in the goodness and knowledge of God. That actually... The functionality of what the Apostle Paul is writing here is actually beautiful and amazing and unbelievable. Yeah? You get a sense that the new relationships mean responsibility, but they also mean fulfillment. Are you starting to get that, that sense of the, the, the preciousness of each one? So let's talk about work. It is really quiet in here, and I want you to know that you can all come to lunch with me after. I'll be it new to the family, so come to that now. I told Steve, thanks, man. Thanks for this passage. I appreciate it. You're great. How's South South Africa? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So we see the new relationship of marriage. We see the new relationship of family. And lastly, I want to say this is the new relationship of work. Now, the Bible uses words here, slavery and slaves. And I just want to take a second, okay? Because like we did at the start where we talked about the danger I just, I don't want to gloss over things that I know are present, and I don't want to try to fix it here, but I just want to address it. So can we do that really quick? I am aware of what the word slave conjures up, rightfully so, in our society and in many societies like ours. And nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere does it condone the ownership of an, in, uh, ownership of an individual by another individual. So what is Paul referring to when he uses this term? Because he obviously uses it and he knows what he's saying. So let's just take a look at some facts about the time. Did you know in the Greco-Roman world, 85 to 90% of people would consider themselves slaves? It was an overwhelming, it was a term overwhelmingly relating to a social class of slaves, which included doctors and artisans and administrators, farmers, philosophers, grammarians, teachers, down the line. That slave was a, slave was an entry term into then being your own sustaining self or family. Does that make sense? Now, it encompassed every race, both genders, every age. People, people readily entered into and out of slavery the status of slave, multiple times throughout their life. It wasn't a glamorous or perfect system, and there certainly was oppression, as there has been in every not glamorous and imperfect 
social system that we've ever set up, good, bad, or ugly. So Paul is actually here speaking to the, to the aspect of work servanthood, not in the oppressive ownership sense of slavery that we, that we readily go to. Does that make sense? Um, and it was actually the Apostle Paul was always quite revolutionary to even include the mention of slaves, which he actually did a lot. When every time Paul says in one of his letters, oh, at the end, you know, he's like, oh, greet so-and-so and this person. I really miss seeing him and how you guys doing and all that at the end. And he's like, greet the household of so-and-so. That's a reference to a family and all of the servants working in that house. It's actually revolutionary because in the society, it was not done. So I just want to say from the outset, we're not here to tackle what we rightfully abhor as the ownership of a person by another. That is not what is going on here. Does that make sense? Are we okay with that? We're actually here to talk about a new relationship. So let's start from the top again. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. That's where we start. And again, the new relationship turns what has been on its head by saying that the backstop is relating to Jesus. I am relating through this person to Jesus. Good? So, for all, I'm going to keep reading this. It was great to just copy and paste. I'm kidding. For all, under the authority of Jesus, God has set up a relationship of order. Submit to one another. Can't say it enough. So, in work, under the authority of Jesus, God has set up a relationship of order. Servants serve. Masters uphold. It's important to remember that Paul puts this all in the context of who the actual true master is of everything. Jesus Christ. Yeah? And it's, and it's, it's because of that that we can say that Jesus really is the backstop of our relating. We are really relating ultimately to Jesus. So in this context, in this rela- the new relationship of work, servants, respect and obey your overseers. This is something you can relate to in your job today, in the way you make your living, because that is what the Apostle Paul is getting at. Respect and obey your overseers. Work diligently and full-heartedly not manipulatively. We've all done it. Oh, the, my manager's looking. Let's make it great. My manager's on vacation. Let's make it serviceable. <laughs> you know? We don't need, you know, Paul's calling us out on that. Not that I've ever needed to be called out on that. <laughs> Servants also be reminded of where the actual reward comes from. From the master who's always present. <laughs> who's never on vacation and never looking away. That's not a pressure thing. It's, it's, it's an encouragement thing. Jesus, how, how, how empty would it be if there were some times where Jesus wasn't present in our work? That would actually be empty, not freeing, to be like, oh, I can really slide by now. But Jesus isn't present. It doesn't even compute. No, the Lord is always there, so we always do our work full-heartedly and with sincerity. Overseers, masters, I love this. Do the same do the same. What does Paul mean? I think Paul's speaking to a, to a sense of sincerity and genuineness because he says, don't use your given authority to make earthly threats because who is the ultimate authority? Jesus. 
You're placed in a place not of value, but a place of relationship function. So don't use that to make your earthly threats. I look like I'm threatening you while I do that. Sorry. (laughs) Nothing gets by me. (laughs) Have the right idea of where your actual authority comes from. Man. If we're taking Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, have the idea of where the actual authority comes from. And then finally, be just and generous. Err on that side. Because there's no favoritism with the one who's actually the master of all. Right? He is your master as much as you think you are anybody else's. There's one we'll answer to. And Paul enumerates that later in Colossians, which says, do everything as if you are doing it unto the Lord. This is a common theme for Paul. This is a, this is a revolution in relationships. This is, this is how it's manifesting in work. You okay? Are we still going to be friends? Okay. No? Who said no? I love it. My eyes on you. So, we're going to bring this into land and um, move into a time of ministry. But, after becoming, let's, let's take this, let's take this, take where we've been in Ephesians so far again. After becoming the new man, the new woman, constructed by God into the new society, the church, being built to house the dwelling of his presence here, to the manifest of, manifesting of his wisdom to the heavenly principalities, as it says. New man, new society, engaged in the new living. Where does this land us in the realm of the new relationships? Well, I think there's a couple things to take away, and all these things are not going to shock you because I've pretty much already said them all. Spoiler alert. All of, firstly, all authority ultimately rests with Jesus. All authority ultimately rests with Jesus. All authority is from him, and all submission is ultimately to him. Yeah? So if you have authority, or, so exercise and relate to authority as if doing it unto Jesus. Because he is the one we're relating through and to. If your function is authority, remember this. Christ-like authority and Christ-honoring obedience is easily submitted to. I'll say that again. Christ-like authority and Christ-honoring obedience is easily submitted to. Husbands. (laughs) It's easily submitted to. If your function is submission, remember... There's only one true rewarder. There's only one everlasting rewarder. And when it's obedient to submit, submit unless it cannot be followed with as to the Lord. Yeah? And then we'll have a discussion about how we don't submit. But until the time for that discussion, until the circumstance for that discussion, there's only one true rewarder and we submit unless it directly dishonors Jesus. Also, relating to others is relating to Jesus. Again, like I've said, we relate. My relationship to my wife is ultimately relating through her to Christ. My relationship to my parents, um, my daughter's relationship to me is ultimately relating through me to Christ. So that means we see sincerity, purity of heart. We see contending for wholeness and forgiveness and grace and redemption and refreshing, and I know I'm saying big, big things that have a lot of decades of connotation for everybody in this room. I'm not unaware of that. That's why, lastly, what I want to say is, this is tough. Be filled. Be filled. 
it's no mistake that this is all in the context of what Paul says in verse 18 of chapter 5. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see, if, you see, if Paul's not starting us there, then he is setting us up for a fool's errand. It's only in the context of saying, be filled with the Spirit and crying out to the Father for that, that he can even say, therefore submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's only in the context of being filled by the Spirit that he can say to husbands and wives what he says, to children and parents what he says, to slaves and masters what he says. It's only in that context. You know, one of my absolute favorite chapters of Scripture is Galatians 5. You you probably are familiar with it. It's where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul also talks about the fruit of the sinful nature in that chapter. There's no song about the fruit of the sinful nature. I don't really... We never sang that in Sunday school, but you're free to write one if you want. (laughs) Wow. It just popped into my head. No, I'm kidding. But Paul enumerates that the fruit of the sinful nature is is those malice, envy. And then he enumerates the fruit of the Spirit. And then what does he say at the the end of chapter 5 of Galatians? He says, it's, it's it's as if he knew his readers were starting to get clammed up on the inside about how not to mess up. And so Paul says, if you walk in the fruit of the Spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. So what we cry out for in the realm of new relationships is not, God, help me not to mess up. Oh, Lord, you don't know my boss at work. Oh, Lord, have you ever been married to my husband or my wife? Or you gave me my kids. I don't know what you were thinking. We don't cry out in that way. We cry. Okay, sometimes we do cry out in that way. <laughs> no, but, but we say, Lord, Father, I cry out for your spirit. That, that be filled in, in verse 18 is in the Greek what's called present imperative, which means that that verb tense is do it and 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 do it. And if you ask me next week, I'll say and do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. It's be and continually be. That's our cry. And then we function in these new relationships. What an awesome picture. What an awesome picture. I think just to remember a couple of things. One is that father heart of God, not an oppressor's heart. No matter what has been twisted or used to justify oppression, it has not been done so by the father. It has not been done so by the father. And the Father actually, the work of the Father, redeems and undoes that in the new relationships. We're going to move into a, a time of ministry, but I just, I just want to say, I, my, my deep sense is that the, the Lord wants to refresh and maybe turn on its head a little bit what has been entrenched as definitions of relationship for some of us. And I know that it's going to mean different specific things for different people relationship to a father or relationship to a husband or a wife or former or whatever it may be. I just want to say there is wholeness and redemption in these new relationships because it's the new man, the new society, and the new living functioning in the new relationships. So I just want to encourage you as Chris comes up to close, let's contend for that. We're here to contend for that with you. I want to contend for that. Because it's the walking picture of the goodness of God. Cool? We're still friends? Awesome. <laughs>